Good morning, everybody. So good to see you here today. Am I booming out there? Yes. Sounds good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, last week was amazing. How many of you enjoyed the, the service last weekend, the Resurrection Sunday? Just incredible, and uh, so many visitors and people that came out, and I want to thank you for inviting your friends and family to that time. And just a reminder that every Sunday, every day is Resurrection Day, amen? We serve the risen Savior, not, and we worship Him like we did today. The worship, thank you, worship team. I love it when we never have to guess who we're worshiping. In this church, we worship Jesus. Thank you so much. Yeah. So today we're going to continue on our theme uh, uh, from Second um, Chronicles 7, chapter 7. We've been looking at that and the prerequisites for revival uh, of a nation and of a people. And God lays it out clearly there and he gives us some things, some handles and some things that we need to do as his people to initiate revival in a nation. How many of you know too that this nation needs revival? Amen. Amen. We want to see uh, the Spirit of God moving from sea to sea, north to south, east to west, and people coming into the kingdom. We want to see his kingdom come in Canada. Amen. And it'd be a little bit of interaction here. <laughs> um, and we want to see this, this uh, nation turned around for the glory of God. Amen. We see, we see this in two chronicles, and I'm going to pick up from uh, verse 11, uh, these prerequisites. And Solomon has just finished building the temple. God has moved in power. The presence of God came down. Fire came down upon the temple. It must have been an awesome meeting to be in. And uh, even on the streets, the presence of God permeated the city. And as people were walking down the road, people would, began to fall on their face uh, on the sidewalks, uh, in the paths, in the streets, and begin to worship God. Wouldn't that be amazing for Nanaimo if we saw that in this place? And uh, somebody said to me, why Nanaimo? Why did you come to Nanaimo? And my answer was, why not? It's a beautiful place, eh? We live in an amazing place, uh, and so on. And this is what God, when God responds to Solomon's uh, uh, sacrifice and the unity of the people, when he begins to respond, he, he speaks to uh, Solomon, and this is what he says. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Then he goes on to say, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague amongst my people, if my people, who are called by my name, that's us, church, that's us, will do these things, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from our wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and not only will I heal them, but I'll heal the land and the nation. And he goes on to say this, if we do these, he says, now my eyes will be open and my ears are tentative to the prayers offered in this place. Two weeks ago, Wiz did an amazing job on speaking of seeking the face of God. There's a number, this is a bit of a series, there's three or four um, sermons on this topic, and we're going to camp here for quite a while, and I encourage you to, to listen to them. And, but before we go on to the last one, on to repentance, from, from turning from our wicked ways, I want you to just camp here a little while about seeking the face of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, if you look at the Hebrew language, we'll see that the word for the face of God is the same as presence of God, intimacy with God. You see, to see someone's face, literally see the face, you have to be present with them. 
You know, have you ever had family overseas and it's wonderful to remember them, but there's nothing like when they come visit us. Deb's mom's coming soon again and we can actually see her face. Makes a big difference. Facebook good, but not as good as actually being present. And God doesn't want a long distance relationship with us. God created us for his good pleasure. He started in the garden with, a, with an incredible relationship with Adam and Eve, which was broken by sin. And the first thing he did when he went back to that garden, knowing what they had done, he cries, his heart cries as being, Adam, where are you? And that cry has been going through, through all the generations since then. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. You see, seeking the face of God is seeking his presence. It's drawing near to God and looking in his face. In his face. It's a place of intimacy. And as we draw near to him, this is the amazing thing. It's like a divine romance that God has always had with his people. As we draw to him, James 4 verse 8 says, he begins to draw near to us. And as we come together, we can look in his face. And when we do that, the things around us become actually strangely dim. When we come into church on a Sunday and we might have all these issues, but when we truly enter into his presence and we truly see him high and lifted up, when we sing these songs, be lifted up and all of that, things change. The thing is, God is not wanting a one day a week relationship. A half an hour in his presence and a preach and so on. As much as this is important because this is where we are trained and equipped. It's a daily, daily, daily relationship. How strong can we have a relationship with anybody if we see them just for an hour and a half a week? It can be a relationship, but more of a casual one than an intimate one. And you see... When we do this too, when we come into his presence, he begins to talk to us. And in Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, when we call on him and we engage in him, he begins to show us great and unsearchable things that we do not know. How many of you know everything? I'm glad nobody put their hand up. How many of you have things that you want to know? Things that you don't know, things that bug you, things that uh, worry you, things that uh, run around like a mouse and a wheel in your head all the time, like this. God says, call unto me, come into my presence. And when you call, give me time to answer. It's not a one way, God bless me, God do this, God heal me, God, I need this sale, God, I need this, God, I need this, Uh, protect my children, amen, and we're out the door. No, it's Lord, call unto me and I will answer and show you the mysteries of heaven. He wants to do that. Mark said that in the prayer meeting, that God wants, hides things from us like a good father. He used an amazing analogy so that we can find them. So that we can find them. You see, we need to learn the art of being present with God, in present with God. And we see this through Scripture in the Old Covenant, even before we who are blood-washed saints, who Hebrews 4 tells us that we can come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ into the very holy of holies every day, all day. We can live there through a new and a living way, through the blood of Jesus. But even under the old covenant, there were people, there were prophets, there were men that had such an intimate relationship with God, like Moses, where God would speak to him face to face as man would speak to a friend. I think as I was thinking of that again, and we often have spoken about that scripture I can't think of a higher accolade from God to be called his friend. Moses, God called his friend. 
He would take time every day, go to his tent of meeting, spend time in the presence of God and engaging God in a two-way conversation. So often, I'm so busy and there's so many things, it's almost like a one-way conversation that we have. We need to be still. We need to still our hearts so that God can answer the things that we're actually answering. And he will show us these unsearchable things that he wants us to see. You see, we need to learn the art of waiting on God. Where we hear the, the whispers of God like Elijah did in the midst of the storms and the trials, we know he's just had a huge victory. Jezebel comes against him, intimidates him, and he runs away. He's hiding in a cave, and he's crying out to God, and, and a storm comes, a huge wind comes, an earthquake, lightning, fire, all of these things. But God was not in those things as he's having these visions. But then a still, small voice. We need to learn to hear the whispers of God in the midst of turmoil. We need to still ourselves. We need to be able to step out of that zone and come into his presence. And and often the best way to do that is get out of a building, get out of a box, get out of that place, go for a walk and sit on a rock. These guys would sit down and look up the heavens and, and David would say, these heavens declare your glory. Where can I go from your presence, Lord? You everywhere. I see you everywhere. I see in the mountains. I see you in the rivers, the streams. I see your creation. How great are you? Instead of looking at a metal roof and saying, God, where are you? And Moses would do that, get out of his circumstance, and God would meet him in that place. And God would speak to him face to face as a man speaks to a friend. The still small voice that Samuel had to learn. Eli had to tell him, go and say, this is God speaking to you. And you know that still small voice that he learned at a, as a young little boy in Sunday school here or somewhere, your kids or whatever, was with him for his whole life. He was sensitive to that. He was the one that anointed the first two kings of Israel, that mentored them, that, that encouraged them with the word of God. He knew the voice of God. The voice Moses heard, we've spoken about. Interesting one in Acts chapter 8. Another thing, Philip, that great evangelist, uh, goes um, to Samaria and and a revival breaks out. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. Um, uh, People are are getting saved. And the apostles in Jerusalem hear this and they rush down there to see what's going on. And in the midst of this revival... And let me tell you, when revival comes, it's messy. God wants to set people free. And sometimes that's messy. And in the midst of this huge revival, and I often wonder if revival really, and we're praying and believing for it, broke out right here in this city and in this building and a true uh, revival of God. Um, And God whispered in my ear, Okay, Mike, it's time to leave. But God, I've been here 22 years. I've been waiting for this. And now it's happening. Would I have a pay like Philip? He said, okay, you guys take it from here. And we need to be sensitive to that voice. Because he knew that he knew. He didn't guess. These guys weren't guessing. Well, I wonder if this is God. They knew the voice of God. The voice Paul heard in many of his trials he was under tremendous pressure and so on. And he's in Corinth and, and he's having uh, this conversation with God. He's been persecuted. And God says in there, in the middle of that, not to be afraid, but to keep on speaking in spite of the trials. And that kept him there for another year or two, preaching the gospel in that area. You see... We need to learn the art of not only hearing the voice of God, not only knowing his will, but understanding his ways. The will of God, for example, is that his will and his wishes that 
all men and people will be saved. His will is that none would perish. We know, often know the will of God, but we don't know the house of God. Moses said to, to God, and we know the Lord, you've told me to lead these people. You've told me to, to, to take them out of Egypt and into the promised land, but you haven't shown me how. And then he says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. And often we get God's will right, but we don't do it God's way. And it's like a walk in the wilderness, like the Israelites. And God wants to teach us his ways. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, we hear this. It talks of the highways of God. And it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. So just settle that. As far as the, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my way higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It's a very humbling scripture, very true one. But if he left us there, it'd be hopeless. Well, God, I know what you want me to do. Think of the crusaders. They thought they were doing the will of God. Turn out a real mess, and we're paying for it even today. They knew that infidels, sinners need to be saved. But it wasn't by a sword. It was through love, God's way. Didn't understand that. And often, the church understands God's will, but without doing it in love, humility, and mercy, it means nothing. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 2. Interesting, if you go back, I was reading this after reading the, uh, Isaiah 55, where it's talking an invitation to the thirsty and all of that, and the coming Messiah and all of this, and he, he says this in the middle of this. But in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, God says this, Many people will come and say, Come on, let us go up to the mount of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. In other words, let us come into the presence of God. And then it says, and he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. God wants us to seek him. God wants to share them with them. But he's not into really much into casual relationships with us. He wants to teach us his ways. He wants our heart. He wants our heart to be fully committed to him. In Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14, God is speaking to a people that are in tremendous turmoil. They're in exile. They're in slavery. They, they've, they've lost everything. They've lost. They're no longer in there. They've been taken from their own nation, from their own homes, and they're living in, in exile. And, and God speaks to them through the prophet. And one of the things he says, he says many things, some of them they do, and some of them, a lot of them they don't do. And that's what caused the problems for them, their disobedience to God. And he says this in verse 11 to 14, for my plans for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And these are, this is his will for every single one of us. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will come, call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. How? When you seek me with all your heart. When we begin seeking God with all our hearts, when he has our hearts, he's not worried about us rending our garments and putting on sackcloth and all of that kind of stuff. Where Isaiah speaks about, um, when he speaks about true fasting and what it is and that, he's not into outward expression of 
humility. They would put sackcloth on, they would fast, they would put ash on their heads, they would cry out to God, and they'd say, God, why aren't you hearing me? Because it was all an outward expression. And there's a big difference between religion and relationship. Yes, Christianity is classed as a religion, but it's a relationship with the personal God, with our Lord and Savior. And he wants us to seek him with all our hearts. And sometimes the only time he ever gets our attention is when we have been humbled by him. When things start shaking, can we start seeking him before that happens? Yes, of course we can, and should we? And God will, re- will turn and change his mind, he says. When we seek him with all our hearts, and I was thinking about that yesterday and, and realizing that I have got so far to go. I feel like I am ankle deep in this relationship, and it was just a reminder. Remember when someone's preaching, that's normally been speaking to them for weeks. I've been meditating on this picture, this, this passage of Scripture, since January. Those uh, two Chronicles 7. I still haven't minded it, I don't believe. And he says this, when you do that, when you seek me, With all your heart, then I will be found by you. God, where are you? Why aren't you talking? Seek me with all your heart. Seek me with all your heart. Seek me with all your heart, and you will be be found. I will be found by you. You see, it's a relationship of the heart. It's the heart that God wants. And in Proverbs 3, 22, 23, the Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk, wrote, there's 31 chapters in there, many, many Proverbs. But the one that he says of above all else, all of those wise words of Solomon, he says this, In Proverbs 20 to 23. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight and keep them from your heart. Uh, But uh, keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a whole man's body. Above all else, whatever you don't do in there, Okay, but this one thing you need to do, my son, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Amazing, amazing scripture. And how do we do this? How do we guard our hearts? We do so by spending time with him and in his presence. You see, we cannot change ourselves. Transformation is not from the outside in. I can say, how many of you make New Year's uh, revolutions? <laughs> Resolutions. Man, isn't New Year's Day awesome? You feel so good. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and all of this. And, and we convince ourselves, well, I'm feeling quite good about myself until January 2 comes. Ah, maybe next year. You see, that's not what repentance is. And we cannot change our own hearts, only God can. And the more we spend time with someone, the more we get to know them, Often the more we come like them, and that's with, with God. He's not saying, oh, Lord, I'm going to do this, I'm going to. We come by grace through faith and say, Father, help me. Help me with this situation. These men were, were not perfect men. David arranged a murder of somebody. He committed adultery. He did some really wild stuff. But God says, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
That's what he commends David. He loved David. He said, you know, you mess up all the time, but jeez, do you love me? Do you worship me? Do you like to spend time in your presence? You read the Psalms and you see, man, David's hunger and thirst. He says, I'll put all this kingdom away, all my stuff. I won't want to be just to be in your presence, Lord God. And God loved him. And God loved Moses. And God loves you. And God loves me. And he's made a way now through Jesus Christ that we can come into the very Holy of Holies all day, every day, and be in his presence. And that's where God has taken us, church. You see, Isaiah chapter 12, we read this. Please go and read the context. Verse 1, 2, 3. And this is in the context of the coming Messiah. Is in in that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation and I will trust and not be afraid. There's so much of fear in the world today. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. And with joy, I will draw NIV now says water, but King James and ESV, I think, says from the wells of salvation. And we're going to talk a bit about wells. We've talked about the wellspring of our heart, the wellspring of life, and Solomon tells us. And we need to begin to draw from these wells of salvation. You see, wells are significant things. If you listen to Wesley's preach, he spoke a lot about wells on his parents' property and the need for water and all of those kind of things. But well is a significant thing. And in Corinthians, I think it's 12 or 30, it says first the natural, then the supernatural. In 1 Corinthians, you can look it up. First the natural, then the supernatural. So God uses natural examples that we can understand and gives him a supernatural outworking so that we can understand. So he talks about wells and he talks about our hearts and he talks about all of these uh, things. And this is what happens in the natural and in the supernatural. Every time we dig a well, we open a portal to the resources of heaven. And we dig a well by spending time in his presence. We dig a well by spending time with him. And what it does is like we open up the resources of heaven, the spiritual resources, physical resources that are there, but we don't know they're there. It's like we, I could be walking in a desert And I could be living in a desert place right now, a dry place in my life. I could be living like I'm living in a desert. I feel dry. I feel thirsty. I'm going through the motions and all of that. I could be doing that right now. And all I needed to do is dig a hole, dig a well, and tap into the presence and the refreshing, refreshing living water of God. And it can change in an instant. Around me could be desert. It could be devastation. But we can come into that place in his presence anytime we want. Say, God, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty, Lord God. Fill me, fill me, fill me. And as I'm doing that, and as I'm digging that well, the wellsprings in my heart begin to fill up again. And they begin to flow. And like Jesus said, out of us, rivers of living water will begin to flow. And that living water will not only refresh us, but our families and the nation. You see, it's possible to die of thirst in a desert, standing right on top and undiscovered well. So there's no water here. And then, then you get Albert there with his army knife, Bear Grylls. <laughs> You die standing there dying, and he looks around. I, I think there's water there. Chick, chick, chick. You're dead, and he's running around the bush like a crazy man. It's in the spiritual. We can spiritually die, 
and we are standing on the resources of heaven. There's open portals that God wants to open over us to rain down upon us. And you see, another thing, if a good well, and we lived on acreage with wells, is not tended to, it can be full, come full of um, rocks and dirt and can become contaminated. When you buy a place and it's got a well, the first thing you want to do is get somebody to check that well to make sure that water is good because it's very important. You see, those rocks in us as Christians, we have this well. It begins to dry up one rock at a time, one grain of sand. You can stop a well with a grain of sand if you just Keep on dropping them in. Rocks, sand, all of this, our, our wellspring of life begins to dry up. And then we begin to go through the motions of religion because yes, we love God. Yes, we know He's there. Yes, we've given our heart to Him, but our hearts are far from Him. And it's so easy to change that. And one of those, well, undealt with sin, living with sin in our lives, Whatever it is, secret sin, open sin, undoubted sin will dry up that well. Bitterness will dry up that well. It's slowly but surely. Unforgiveness. Walking around with that in your heart. Because God says, if you don't forgive, this is in his word, I'm not going to forgive you. Oh God, forgive me. Well, read my book. Very easy. And it dries up and it dries up and we start coming to church out of duty. And we start doing things for God out of duty and it's tiring and it's hard. If you are feeling burnt out in the kingdom, God says, if you wait upon me, I will renew your strength. Mike, God, I'm tired, I'm worried, I can't do this and all of that. Well, how long did you spend time with me this week? I get into his presence. It's like kryptonite. You feel you can just go and go and go. Why is it that the, the, the saints of old could serve God fully to the day they died? And some of them died at a pretty old age. Twice the age of me, some of them. <laughs> Because they waited upon the, the, the Lord. And he renewed their strength. They begin to rise up on wings like eagles. And they begin to run again and not grow weary. To walk even and not faint. Because God supernaturally empowered them. This is supposed to be a walk of victory, church. And I know, and I'm looking at this over these months and saying, God, please help me. Help me. To do the things I did at first. And worse than anything of that, when a well begins to dry, slowly but surely, complacency sets in. I just do it. You see, complacency causes us to be present, but not present. It's like going out to lunch with somebody and both of you are on your cell phones texting somebody else. I see that in every restaurant. Present? Yeah. We're sitting at the same table. Tick, 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 tick. Hey, where are you, Mike? I'm sitting with this boring people, person. Yeah, I wish I wasn't here. Hey, how you doing, bro? Beep. I can fall into that too. Present but not present. God, I want to be in your presence. But I'm all over the show. It takes repentance. It takes a turning around. There's nothing more sad than a burnt out, dried out Christian. 
They would be better off, we would be better off to be sinners and enjoying ourselves. And I'll show you that in the word right now, where Jesus says that. God doesn't want that. And they can change in an instant. They can change in a moment. God is quick to answer to us. He's a slow to anger, abounding in love, and he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And, and when David repented, he put it all out there, man. And God instantly came to his rescue. Not the consequences of his sin, but the forgiveness of his sin for sure. You see, this is what 2 Chronicles 6.19, in the same book we're reading, says. The eyes of the Lord range through the earth to strengthen those whose heart is fully committed to him. Lord, I'm weak. I'm weary, Lord God. Come into his presence. Stop trying in your own strength. Stop trying to forgive everybody. Stop trying to stop all of this stuff. Fall in love with Jesus. First love. It's embarrassing to say that. Yeah, I've been married. Well, not embarrassing to say I've married 36 years. That's very good. But do I have the passion for Deborah that I had when I met her? Something I need to talk, think about. Do I have the same passion for God? I know what God saved me from. It's an amazing time. And God wants us to simply go to back to those. I'm going to skip a, a little bit here, and I just want to finish with this. In Revelations chapter 3, God, Jesus, God, sp- speaks to seven churches. And I just want to look at two of them, the church of Laodicea, quickly, and the church of Ephesus. And I believe both of them were suffering from the same thing, complacency. You see, in his letter to the church of Laodicea, verse 15 to 16, he says this, I know your deeds. They were doing deeds. That you are neither hot nor cold nor hot. But I wish you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus. And if it ended there, church, we would be in serious trouble. But it doesn't, and this is the amazing grace of God. Because he goes in verse 19 to 22 to say this, those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. That's all he's asking. He's trying to give them a wake-up call. He doesn't want to do that. He's just shocking them into existence. Saying, man, I've seen your works and your deeds, but half-hearted stuff is not going to cut it in my kingdom. And he says, repent. And he says this, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. The context of this is not people's salvation. And we use that as a salvation scripture. He is talking to a church. It's our hearts. It's our hearts. He's going, Mike, Mike, just repent, man. Come back to me. Come back to me. Do the things you did at first. Remember when you first got saved? Remember how you would serve? Remember how you'd do that? Remember how you, you would reach out to everybody else and so on? Mike, I don't want you just coming there and being blah, blah, blah to me because your wife wants you to or because the congregation wouldn't have nobody to talk to them on a Sunday. And maybe that would be a good thing sometimes. But Mike, I want your heart. 
Just repent. And repentance is certainly, you, you're drifting away from me. You've been drifting for years. And you know about drifting in a boat, you can go asleep and you can drift in a current. And if you don't wake up, you could be hundreds of miles of where you should be and not even knowing where you are. You don't know you're drifting. The devil is way too subtle. It's not an event. It's a process. And slowly but surely we go from hot like boiling water, does not get ice cold overnight. And God wants us to turn around. God wants me to turn around. It's brutal meditating on this stuff all day like I do. But it's wonderful at the same time. He says, if anyone in my church hears, opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in right away and I will eat with that person and they with me. And then he says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. We are hidden in Christ. We are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Just as I was Victoria and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then in Revelation chapter 2, because we seem to bash on the loud saying church. This amazing church. I would have loved to have gone to this church in Ephesus. It was so theologically Sound. It was a powerful church. Um, Paul spoke some amazing um, life and treasures into the life of this church. It's an amazing church in a very wealthy, prominent city. But he see, he sees that this church has fallen out of love with Jesus and are just going through the motions. And he mentions some of those motions. In Revelation chapter 2, 1 and 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write these words of, of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. Right? You guys are doing some good stuff, man. You're attending church and you're doing all of this awesome stuff and you're feeding the poor or whatever you're doing. You guys are working hard. You're awesome, man. You're working hard and you're persevering. If I got a letter from God like that, I would be saying, hey, 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 this is an amazing church. And he goes on to say this. Your deeds, your heart, and I know that you're theologically correct and you cannot tolerate wicked people and you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. Amazing things. He's not saying they're wrong. He's not saying that they should not have done this. He's not rebuking for them. He's rebuking them because their heart has grown cold towards him. And so they were just doing it. And that's what happens when the presence of God leaves a place. It's religion. It's just religion. And then man begins to make up more things and more traditions, just to have something to hold on to. And he says, "You." And he says, "Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Consider how you have fallen. And once again, all I'm asking to you to do, church. I'm speaking straight to you." Church of Ephesus, I want to tell you exactly, I want to save you from this. And all I'm asking you to do is stop doing it like that. Just turn around and repent and do the things you did at first. The first love things. Even if you mess up, even if it doesn't go well, even if, if sometimes you fall. I know you for me and I'm for you. And I know you love me and I truly love you. And that's all Jesus is trying to say. He's not trying to rebuke the people. He's just trying to bring freedom through repentance. We cannot be free if we don't own our own sin. It's always everybody else's fault why we're where we're at. 
It's the church's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my boss's fault. They made me do it. No, God, I've sinned. I'm sorry, God. Do you think any sin is too big for God to forgive? If it is, then you must be God. Because God can forgive all sins. But it's a repentant heart. It's not the fact that we sin because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that will continue in our lives. It's how we deal with it. Saul blamed everybody else but himself for his sin. You're going to listen to his conversation with Samuel. It was your fault, Samuel. You were late, and the sheep were bleating, and, and the army was starting to scatter, so I made the offering. You weren't here, Samuel. And Samuel says, because of that, because you overstepped your authority, you have authority as a king, but not as a prophet and a priest, and because you stepped into that, the kingdom is taken away from you. Do you know the scarier thing about that? People still followed him for another 15, 20 years. 15 years. Without knowing that the anointing had left him. They were trying to kill David, the new king. He, Saul still went through the motions and the majority of the nation followed Saul and not David till the very end. And then they started coming over to David. The anointed had left it off him, but the gifts are without repentance. So we can do this stuff. And I can do this stuff without God. But I cannot kid God. And all he's asking if we start doing this is just stop it. Come home to me. Stop it. I want to bless you. I want to give you the stuff, the desires of your heart. When you commit your ways to me, I will give you those desires. I want to use them for my kingdom. I want to bless you. Church, I hope that we see this as freedom. I hope that we see this as freedom. God is wanting to set us free. God is crying out for us to be friends of his. He doesn't just want one friend called Moses. How many of you are just like one friend? He wants to be your friend. He wants to be my friend. He wants us to be his friends. And so if we could just bow our heads for a moment, I'd love the worship team just to come forward because we've got a few more minutes. Church, even as I'm speaking this, I am not qualified outside of the grace of God, I promise you. But I am a kind of go big or go home kind of guy. But I realize too that I have a way, I need to return to that first love. I'm not saying everybody is like way off chart or I'm way off chart, but I know in my heart. And I feel if we could just spend this moment. God is in the audience of one. I don't want us to come forward and respond because it's your heart. I can stand here and say, yes, Lord, and it means nothing. Where you are. Think of the, how you were when you first got saved. And if you're not saved, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and you can be saved today. He wants you in the kingdom. He wants to be with you. He wants to be your friend. 
He wants to, when you've got issues, He wants to say, come, call unto me and I'll show you the unsearchable things you do not know. God, what should I do? Where should I go? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and He's with me all day and I can be, God, help me. God, I'm stuck. God, I've sinned. Will you forgive me? God, this and that. Jesus and so on. And we can have this relationship and we can walk with that daily, all day. And not just experience Him for 25 minutes on a Sunday in worship. So we'll just bow our heads for a moment and and just maintain an attitude, attitude of worship and have a quiet conversation with God. I, have, I need to daily just repent and do the things we did at First Church. Holy Spirit, it's your anointing that breaks in your own. We cannot save ourselves, heal ourselves, forgive ourselves, but we can receive the free gift of salvation, the free gift of grace, and we can repent. And when David repented of his adultery, when Nathan called him out, he wrote Psalm 51 and he starts us against you Lord against you only have I sinned I'm taking it on the cheek it wasn't her fault it wasn't the army's fault it was my fault I am going to fess up Lord and God cleanses him from that sin and some one under one hundred and three. I think he's thinking of the time. Lord, you separated my sin as far as the east is from the west, and you chose to remember it no more. When we are forgiven, church, we are forgiven. There's no future in your past. There's no future in yesterday. It's what we're going to do tomorrow. And when we stumble, we have a God that is more than able. Lord. Create in us a pure heart, Lord. Renew a steadfast spirit in us, Lord. Lead us in the way of the everlasting, Lord. Yes, be lifted up, Lord Jesus. Just as Ruth sings this, or whoever's going to sing this, just where you are, just open your hands and your hearts.